Hallelujah. How many believe today is the day to rejoice in Him, to glorify Him, to give Him the honor that He deserves? Today's the day. Tomorrow will be the day too. And the next day, if you make it the day, how many know it's a lot up to us? God expects the faith part to come from us. He's going to answer His part if we'll just do our part. So I just encourage you before I get started this morning, give Him your part. Believe and trust Him for whatever you need that glorifies His name. Notice I didn't say anything you want. We have a lot of wants, but what do you need? And then trusting it to be the way God will supply and meet your need. Well, as we get started this morning, I heard a funny little story about a young preacher that one Sunday morning was basically putting his whole congregation to sleep with a rather dull and uh, boring sermon, and to uh, revive those napping in the pews that were starting to doze off, he thought, well, I'm going to get them. He said, I lived with a woman for 17 years that was not my wife. I started popping open. They started paying attention. What in the world's going on? He said, she was my mother. <laughs> well, there was a, a visiting a pastor that was in the house that day. He was on vacation, and he just stopped by the church, thought he'd go to church on a Sunday morning, and he was amused by the young pastor's wit, and he said, well, when I get home, I'm going to try the same thing. When I get home from vacation, I'm going to use that line, that joke on my congregation. Well, his first Sunday in the pulpit, he said, for 17 years, I lived with a woman that was not my wife, and he hesitated because he forgot the punchline. He forgot the rest of the joke. Finally, after an awkward silence, he confessed, and for the life of me, I can't remember who she was. <laughs> Let me just say he had a senior moment. How many of us have ever had a senior moment? Amen? How many have ever said something dumb? I might stretch it to stupid sometimes or done something stupid. Don't ask my wife if I ever have because she thinks I'm perfect. Now, don't let her know any different. We know that's not true, but anyway... Today we're going to be looking at a guy in the scripture who was definitely a foolish guy. So much so that his name actually meant that. It meant foolish. We're starting a brand new sermon series this morning. It's called Minor But Still Major. Minor But Still Major. There are hundreds of stories and people in the Bible that have some incredible stories. Some of their stories go on for chapter after chapter after chapter, and some are really short and brief, sometimes unnoticed and overlooked. We know there's a reason and a purpose for every story that's in the Bible, but why is it that we normally just focus on the biggies? We just pick out the biggies, the more popular stories. So in this series, we're going to change it up a little bit. We're going to explore a few of the minor people and their stories and see what we can learn from their stories that might help us out in the lives that we're trying to live. Today's story is a great story, but you probably, many of you probably haven't even heard about it before. It's about a woman by the name of Abigail. And all we know about Abigail is basically summed up in one chapter in one Old Testament book, 1 Samuel chapter 25. So I want to set this up this morning and bring out that there are three main characters in this story. Three main characters. I'm going to start out with an easy one for you. The first one is David. We've all heard of David, right? He's the one that has slain Goliath. He's killed Goliath. He's the one at this time that has been anointed to be the next king of Israel. 
But at this time, the current king, King Saul, hated David. He was jealous of David and had tried to kill him six or seven times. So to avoid the king's murderous plots, David takes 600 of his men and they move into a southern territory of Paran. This southern territory of Paran was actually what you might call no man's land because it was a pretty rough territory that was so far away from all the other governments that nobody had real authority there. So if you lived in that territory, you pretty much fended for yourself. I'd say it was like the wild, wild west days. Um, you know, in our area, it'd probably be someplace like Hugo. I'm just saying. Some... <laughs> Sorry about you Hugoites. I'll pick on somebody else next week. But think about David. He's got 600 men that are his soldiers. And under David's leadership, they start policing this rough territory. They start policing and protecting the ranchers and the farmers and their, their properties and their, their flocks in hopes of basically trying to scratch out a, a living of some kind. They were kind of like, you might say, the Chuck Norris group and his gang of good guys in that rough area, protecting people from robbers and thieves, which were pretty thick in that whole area. And the truth is, every rancher and farmer was grateful. They were grateful for David's presence, his soldiers' protection. And at the time, they sheared their sheep, which was a big event for these uh, sheep herders. It was pretty common for those that sheared their sheep and the owners of the animal to give a portion of their profits over to those people that had protected them, over to David and his men. That brings me to my second character in the story. It's a rancher by the name of Nabal. Anybody ever heard of Nabal? I said Nabal, not Nabal. Amen? Nabal. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 2. It says that Nabal was very wealthy. He was a very wealthy guy. Nabal and his men and his flocks were also protected by David and his men. Nabal was very wealthy. He, he was loaded. He had thousands of cattle and sheep. He had more cattle and sheep than the Cartwrights had on Bonanza. Anybody remember that one? Anybody remember the Ponderosa? If you're too young to remember that, see some old people like me and we'll fill you in. But as I said earlier, we're going to talk about a guy that was a fool. Well, I'm to that point in my sermon. The guy that I'm talking about, his name is Nabal. That name means fool. And it's also, if you don't know, the same word that they used over and over in the book of Proverbs in the Bible to describe a rude, ignorant, dishonest, belligerent type of person. And because it was a pretty commonly understood name, I can't believe that it was Nabal's given name from birth. I can't imagine any mother looking at her newborn son, and I think we'll call him the fool. I, mean, I don't think that worked out that way. I think it was a nickname that was given him. I actually think it was a nickname that uh, many people said behind his back, and I believe it was the name that he deserved, and it was a name that he earned, and you'll see that in just a minute as we get into his story. But before you and I start judging Nabal or anybody else, let's just stop and admit we've all done some pretty foolish things, amen? We've all done some pretty uh, foolish things. Um, so this morning, I, I want to say that we live in a pretty foolish culture that has a lot of foolish problems, so much so that uh, manufacturers of products have to put warnings on their products to keep people from doing foolish things. And I want to bring out a few uh, this morning. Uh, how about this? These are actual warnings put on actual products. How about this first one? 
on a Duraflame fireplace log, it says, caution, risk of fire. Imagine that. How about this one? On a Batman costume, warning, cape does not enable user to fly. <laughs> that might come in handy around Halloween. On a bottle of hair coloring, do not use an I as an ice cream topping. <laughs> How about on a cardboard sunshield for a car? Do not drive with sunshield in place. <laughs> like you have to be told about that. How about this one? On a portable stroller, caution, remove infant before folding for storage. I think that's pretty much a given, amen? We laugh, but the truth is we've all done foolish things that have embarrassed us, maybe embarrassed somebody else. How many have ever done that? Done some things that embarrassed yourself and probably embarrassed a lot of other people at the same time. We all have. The next character in the story I'm going to talk about is a woman by the name of Abigail. I mentioned her earlier. She's actually the wife of this Nabal guy. And uh, she, it says in verse 3, She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. I want you to get the picture here. This woman, Abigail, had it all. I mean, she had brains and she had beauties. Uh, beauty. she, got, she was a princess married to a jerk. You might say she was a princess married to a frog. I don't know. But we've got a winner married to a loser, and Nabal definitely married up. I mean, it's kind of like my wife, Cheryl. When she got her spouse, she just took it to a whole new level. <laughs> no, we know it's the opposite way. Anyway, when I'm talking about this Abigail, she was everything that her husband was not. She was everything that Nabal was not. Have you ever ran across a case like that where you've got this mean, grouchy, old, nasty guy married to this sweet, loving, kind woman? I mean, and, and ladies, it wouldn't be a good time to look at your spouse. Not a good time. <laughs> and wives, don't be saying, uh, hey, I finally got a name to call my husband. Uh, I'm married to Nabal. Don't tell him that because he'll look at you and say, well, you're no Abigail yourself. Amen. <laughs> But if you're like me, stop and think for a minute. Do you ever wonder, how does a woman like Abigail hook up with a guy like Nabal? How does that happen? This beautiful, wise woman gets married to this foolish numbskull of a guy. How could that happen? Well, I can make one, give you one reason. I think it might be because in those days, they were, there were prearranged marriages. I mean... Um, you know, it wasn't so much to do with courtship or love in those days. It was a prearranged marriages, usually arranged by their parents and especially by their fathers. And it might surprise you, it usually worked out pretty well. And I say that because most loving fathers love their daughters enough to make sure that they picked out a guy that would love their daughter, care for her, protect her, provide for her. But it didn't always work out that way. It wasn't foolproof, and it didn't always work out that way. In this case, it did not. Just as today, we could be fooled. I'm thinking Abigail's uh, father might have overlooked something with this Nabal guy. He might have put on appearances, but he was hiding some things when it came down to it. Maybe Na Abigail thought like a, a lot of women do. Well, he'll eventually change. He didn't change. We don't know exactly how it all worked out, but we know things didn't work out, and it led to a horrible marriage. And Abigail, this loving woman, this bright, wise, loving, kind person, suffered greatly in that relationship. But you would never know it. 
to see her and what I hear about her in the scriptures and what I think about her, you would never know it to see her, to meet her. So track with me on the story. David sends 10 of his guys to Nabal, her husband, to send him a gentle reminder that they've been protecting him, his workers, and his flocks for a long time. And David's got 600 hungry soldiers that have been working for free, and they're just basically saying, hey, it's time to tip your waiter. Hey, it's time to give us some compensation. So a conflict arises in verse 10 when David sends his 10 men to see Nabal. And Nabal, being the wicked, evil businessman he is, he refuses to pay up. Listen to his response in verse 10. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David that sent you? Who is this son of Jesse? Listen, if you knew anything back then, you knew who killed Goliath. Amen? You knew who was protecting your sheep and who was protecting you. David's reputation had started to grow and grow and grow. So I have a feeling that Nabal knew exactly who David was. But he goes on. He says, many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. So what he's basically questioning is David's lineage. He's saying, no, he can't be that guy. He's got to be just a servant that ran away from his master. And then in verse 11, he goes on. He says, why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? Like I say, I think he knew who David was, but he was just this nasty old tightwad that had plenty of money but didn't want to part with it. And here's the thing back in that day and in that culture, hospitality was everything. You were taught to be hospitable to everyone you met, even your, uh, even your enemies sometimes. And keep in mind, Nabal was a wealthy guy, one of the most wealthy of the whole area. He had plenty of money to go around. He could have been more generous, but he wasn't. And think about David in his position. David was not asking for a free handout. David had actually provided a service for Nabal, his, his uh, men and his crops and his, his flocks. He had provided uh, all that uh, Nabal needed to help Nabal get richer and richer and richer. Think about that for a minute. And Nabal has the audacity to say, how dare David come to a guy like me and ask for help? Let me just tell you, Nabal wasn't just a fool, he was a proud fool. Not just a fool, he was a proud fool, that's a terrible combination. But it reminds me of a true story that happened back in November 2012. There was a 19-year-old teenage girl named Hannah Sabata who robbed a bank. She robbed Cornerstone Bank, got away with $6,000. She was probably from Hugo, I'm just guessing. Now, the bank employees gave a good description to the investigators of who she was and the getaway car that she got away in, but they didn't even need that description because she goes home and she puts herself on YouTube on a video, even titles it Chick Bank Robber, bragging about her crime. This is a true story. On the video, she even fanned out all of the cash in front of the camera, held up a sign that says, I just stole a car and robbed a bank. I'm rich. She said, now I can pay off the rest of my student loan, and I'm going to go on a shopping spree this afternoon. Later, she holds up, another, holds up another sign that says, I told my mom today was the best day of my life, and she just thinks I got a new boyfriend. Amen? When I hear all this, I think it's too bizarre to be true. 
too crazy to be true. And I've got to say this kind of, in, hopefully in a polite way, she didn't have a brain one. Amen? Not at all. But I do think she had a lot of pride and arrogance in her life to think that she could get away with that, especially how she approached the whole thing. But then I think about pride. That's what pride is. And that's what pride does. Pride makes us think we're better and smarter than everyone else. Pride makes us think we're smarter and better than we really are. Keep that in mind as we go on with this story about David. David's men go back to David and tell him what Nabal has said and what Nabal has refused to do. David becomes furious with Nabal. I mean, he's ticked. Look what it says in verse 13. David said to his men, each of you strap on your sword. So they did. And David strapped on his as well. About 400 men went up with David while 200 stayed with the supplies. Let me just say 400 men with trained soldier men with swords ready was a little bit of overkill to go after Nabal and his ranchers. It'd be like going after a barn mouse with a machine gun. I'm just saying. <laughs> a bit much. But guess what Nabal was doing? Acts like he doesn't have a care in the world. He's throwing a huge party because he thinks he's just gotten away with some free security from David and his men. But what he doesn't realize is there is a war brewing on the inside of David's heart. David is upset. As I said, David is furious. And keep in mind, at this point in David's life, he's not exactly the mature man of God that he will be someday. He's got some problems. And God's trying to iron out some of those problems by actually sending him to this wilderness, to this desert place. He's sending him to this desert place to form him and shape him and to develop him into the type of guy that could be the next king. And when I say that, I think God does the same with you and me. I mean, he allows trials and tests and troubles to come into our lives that break us, that melt us, so that he can do what? So he can remold us, that he can shape us into the type of people he wants us to be, that he can shape us into being a whole lot more like Christ than we've ever been before. I would say, and we don't want to admit it a lot of times, but God uses the fire to refine us. He uses the fire of difficult times in our lives to get his way, to have his will be done. So when you're in the middle of your next desert time, just remember God's right there with you. You're right where he wants you. And you know what he's going to do with that desert time? If you'll let him, he'll turn it into a greater purpose and a greater plan that would fill what he wants for your life. And that's always going to work out a whole lot better. Amen? So think about David. He's still developing. He's still growing. He's rough around the edges. He's still got a bad temper. And unfortunately, Nabal's greed and arrogance have fanned those flames of anger into a torch. This is not David's most shining moment. I'll just say that, okay? But I believe we can learn something from his response to this. I think we can learn how to control our desires to get even with somebody when they've done us wrong, to want revenge when somebody uh, has hurt us. You know, if we're not careful, guess what Satan can do with that anger? He can use it to get a foothold into your life. He can use our flesh. He can use our bent towards sin. He can make us do things that we think are right at the time and justifiable at the time when they're totally wrong, totally opposite. How many of you have ever done something in a moment of anger that you were for sure at the time it was the right move to make, but afterwards it wasn't the right move to make? In fact, you regretted it. I think we'd have to all be honest and say we've all been there, we've all done that. 
Several years ago, I heard a story about two men that were out in Southern California, got into a battle of road rage. These guys were just driving around in a parking lot of a department store one day, and one accidentally cut the other off, and the battle was on. The battle of road rage was on. They chased each other out of that parking lot, dodging and weaving out of the busy streets of California, putting a lot of people's lives in danger until one of the guys sped, spun the other one out of control. And the other guy, while he was trying to gain control, went up on a sidewalk where a little five-year-old girl was playing and killed the little five-year-old girl. Think about this. Five-year-old innocent little girl was killed. Simply because two men let anger become uncontrollable rage. They let anger become uncontrollable rage that led to this little girl's death. It was senseless. That's how destructive anger can be. Because if you let anger fester, it doesn't just stay a little fester. It festers and it festers and it gets bigger and it gets bigger and it gets destructive. And it not only hurts you, but hurts everyone around you. What I'm saying is whenever we feel the heat of anger starting to rise up under our collars, whenever we're about to get mad about something, tempted to do something rash, let me just encourage you to stop for a minute, take two steps back, and say, what will the circumstances of this rage be or this anger be? What will happen? Or will what I do or what I put on Facebook, will it be lifting up? Will it be uplifting to Jesus? Am I trying to build someone up or am I trying to tear them down? If we just stop and ask those few questions, it could change everything. But the biggest thing of all is, have you taken time to pray about it? Have you prayed enough about it? Do you realize how many circumstances you could change and how much anger you could squelch if you would step back and give it to God? Step back and pray about it for that moment. Prayer could keep us from making a lot of, and I mean a lot, of horrible decisions and choices. Think about our story. David didn't stop long enough to think about any of those questions. He just got mad at the drop of a hat. He angrily grabbed his sword, told his men to grab their swords. They mounted up, they headed out. It was a massacre in the making, you might say. But Abigail steps back into the story at this time. In verse 14, look what it says. One of the servants, or Nabal's servants, told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but he, meaning Nabal, hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. So David's men were honest. Night and day they were a wall around us the whole time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over, Abigail. And see what you can do, because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Now think about how Abigail could have responded. I mean, she's been with this nasty, mean guy for who knows how long is his, wi his wife. Um, they've had a horrible marriage. She could have thought, hip, hip, hooray, amen. David is on his way to kill my fool husband. The source of my agony and misery is going to soon be gone. God does work in mysterious ways. Praise God, hallelujah. I'm not trying to give you ladies any ideas. But she doesn't do that. Abigail doesn't do that at all. I want to give you three lessons that we can learn from Abigail if you're taking notes. The first one is be a person of integrity and humility regardless of what's going on around you. 
regardless of whatever circumstance you're in. Be a person of integrity and humility. Do you realize she chose to protect her husband? Not because he deserved it, because he didn't. Not because he was so good, because he wasn't. But because she was good. Because she was good, she made that choice. I can't help but hear that and think that and think of our good God. Think of a God that loved us so much that he gave his only son to die brutal death on a cross. Not because you and I were so good, because we're not. But because he is that good. I think Abigail showed a perfect picture of godliness the way she handled that whole situation, um, in spite of how her husband Nabal had acted, how he had been, she remained an honorable woman. She did the right thing. Look at her response in verse 18. Abigail acted quickly. I love that. She doesn't wait around. She just gets right into action. Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five seeds of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins and two hundred cakes of pressed figs and loaded them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I will follow you. But she didn't tell her husband Nabal. As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending toward her. And she met them. I wish I could have been there that day to see this meeting because this whole story culminates at this point. It builds up to this very point. Everything would have fallen apart. Everything would have gone down the tubes if Abigail hadn't used wisdom and stepped in and interceded in the middle of all this chaos and craziness and brought enough food to feed a literal army. But picture the scene. When David and his 400 men riding horseback see Abigail, all of them, I can just imagine, pulled back on their reins and said, Whoa, whoa. And their horses come to a grinding halt. Guess what Abigail does? She knows who David is. I don't know what attire he was wearing, but she knew exactly what horse to kneel in front of, and she knelt before him. And she called herself his maidservant six times in the text. She called him her Lord 14 times in the text. She showed extreme humility. They could have taken her out. They could have beat her, whatever. It could have been horrible for her, but she showed extreme humility right in front of all of these guys, these mighty warriors, and interceded on behalf of her husband, her louse of a husband. She interceded on behalf of Nabal, but at the same time, she doesn't excuse his behavior. She doesn't excuse his foolishness. She simply tells David, David, when I look at you, I see the next king. When I look at you, David, I see the next king. Don't let this murder be on your record. You're too good for this, David. Don't let this murder take you down. Actually, what Abigail was doing was she was warning him about ruining his future reign and rule as the next king before it even happened. I want to take it a step further because I think she was actually saying, Hey, David, don't be another King Saul. Don't be a spear-throwing, angry guy that's tried to kill you so many times. Don't be like that. You're better than that, David. She was telling him right in front of these mighty warriors. I mean, think about it. She's just this unarmed, dainty woman standing before them. I believe she was saying, look, David, there's one fool in this story, and it's my husband. Isn't one fool enough? I think with extreme wisdom, she's saying, God expects a whole lot more from you, David. 
right now and when you'll be king, he'll expect a whole lot more from you. What I'm saying is Abigail was a peacemaker. Without a doubt, she was a peacemaker to bring peace in the middle of this storm, in the middle of this chaos. David realizes that that's what Abigail is doing. He realizes Abigail has just saved him from making a horrible decision that really could have wrecked the rest of his life. David even apologizes to Abigail. He thanks her for his words of wisdom that restrained him from going out and killing a lot of innocent people in his fit of anger. He goes on in the uh, second part of verse 34. He says, If you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, Go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. I believe David's response tells us exactly why God chose a man like him to be the next king. His response. The Bible says he had a heart after God's own heart. He didn't always make the right choices and decisions, but he definitely always turned back to God. He always focused uh, back on God no matter what had happened. God could trust him. He could trust God. And he got back on course. And I'll say, turning away from his anger, and I'll say a big thanks to Abigail. Amen? And a big thanks to his heart that listened to her advice. While this was all happening, as I said earlier, what is Nabal doing? He's throwing a big, big party. He's getting drunk. So Abigail decides, I'm going to wait till morning to tell my husband about what's happened. And Abigail realizes, because of who her husband is, she's just spared his life, saved his neck, and she's never going to get any thanks for it. She's never going to get any appreciation for it because of who he is. She knows him very well, and she knows she's just going to have to trust God for his reward. Abigail knew it was no use talking to him when he was three sheets to the wind. I'll just say that. She had that much wisdom, which doesn't take a whole lot of wisdom there. But how many of you uh, have ever said something in a fit of anger or a moment, a heated moment, uh, that only made matters worse? How many of you have ever said something when you were mad or upset or hurting that only made matters worse? that actually took it to the next level, that actually escalated things faster than you could even believe possible. I think that has happened to more of us than we can imagine. Amen? Our flesh sometimes just wants to unload on somebody. We're people. That's our flesh. That's our human nature. We want to unload on somebody. There have been times that my wife has gotten so mad at me that when she opens her mouth... Her mother-in-law, her mom, Jean, comes out. My mother-in-law, Jean, comes out. It's scary. And I want to say that because she's on vacation this week. She's gone. And none of you tell her, okay? But this Abigail I'm talking about, she was full of wisdom. So she waits until the next morning to tell her husband about his near-death experience. The second lesson we can learn from Abigail is God can work in your life in the middle of horrible situations, in the middle of bad situations. Look at verse 37. It says that when she told Nabal, it, that, it says that when she told Nabal everything, his heart died within him. Some scholars believe that he had a stroke. Some scholars believe that he had a heart attack, something like that. And it says, and he became as a stone. Then verse 38 says, 10 days later, the Lord, and who was it? The Lord struck Nabal and he died. 
So in the end, the Lord took care of Nabal. Let me say, who knows how this story would have turned out if Abigail hadn't handled things the way she handled things. It could have gone in a total opposite direction. The whole story could be different than I'm telling today, but it isn't. I believe it takes great courage, whether you're in her generation to be an Abigail or in this generation to be an Abigail, but I believe with all of my heart that courage came from her knowing that God was her God that she could trust him to work out whatever situation was going on. He could take care of it, even really helping her to change the mind of the next king. Can you imagine this rancher's wife actually had a big part in who David became? I only say that to say, do you realize what you and I could do to maybe a king somewhere, a president somewhere, a governor somewhere, maybe your next-door neighbor somewhere, that could bring a total change into their their life, in your life. Well, I guess I could say this, and they lived happily ever after. <laughs> and if you know the story, it's kind of happened. Because once David found out that Nabal had died, guess what he did? He goes and proposes to Abigail. And she accepts. Let's just say David had some good taste in women. David's only problem is he didn't stop with one. Amen, that was his problem. That's another story for another day. But David knew that he was to be the next king. He was anointed by Samuel to be the next king. But think about how things could have been different. His encounter with Nabal and the way he could have handled things could have been a disaster. He could have blown it. He could have messed it all up. David knew he was supposed to be the next king, but he could have blown it. And he almost blown it without, Nabal, without Abigail's help. I only said that to say whenever we get tempted to go into a fit of rage and anger... We ought to stop, step back, and remember who we are. And bigger than that, we need to remember whose we are. Amen? Remember who you belong to. And not let that anger interfere with God's bigger plan or God's calling on your life. And the last point I'm going to bring out about Abigail is she was a peacemaker. She was definitely a peacemaker. She had the right heart. She had the right attitude in the way she handled this whole situation. And as I said, it changed the whole story. But a good example of personal forgiveness was given to us this past month. Uh, it was all over the news. Maybe some of you saw it. You might recall that back in September of 2018, Dallas police officer Amber Geiger killed a man by the name of Botham Jean in his own apartment. After her shift, she went home. She entered his apartment, though, thinking it was hers. Seeing him in there, she thought he was an intruder, pulled her weapon, and shot and killed him. Police officer Amber Geiger got a 10-year prison sentence for killing this Botham Jean that day. But it was Botham's 18-year-old younger brother that sat in that courtroom that day and did an incredible thing. He sat in that witness chair, and he looked at the woman that had just killed his brother, and he looked at her and he says, I forgive you. He says, I don't want evil for you. He says, I want good for you. I want the best for you. And he says, I can say that because I know my brother, Botham Jean, would have wanted the best for you. And then he said, the best for you is for you to accept Jesus Christ into your heart. And then he did what I think is kind of unthinkable in a courtroom. He looked at the judge and he says, ma'am, could I get up and give her a hug? And she allowed it. Judge Tammy Kemp allowed it. 
She said, okay, and they met in the middle and embraced. That picture went viral. After that, Judge Tammy Kemp gave her a hug also, and also gave her her own little personal Bible and told her, take a look at this and read John 3.16. that says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You know, when I look at that young man, in that moment, he preached more sermons than I could preach in a hundred years. More sermons in that act of love, that act of kindness, that act of mercy, that act of forgiveness. He forgave her when many in that room were not ready to forgive her. He forgave her. He became a peacemaker. He stepped into the middle of that crazy time and could have reacted in exactly the opposite way, but he chose to forgive. Do we understand the power of forgiveness today? Jesus is the greatest peacemaker of all. Whenever Jesus steps onto the scene, things change. Amen? Where there's a storm, He creates a calm. Where there's chaos, He brings peace. He brings order. Where there's anger, bitterness, resentment, He brings peace because He's the Prince of Peace. He's the peacemaker above all peacemakers. But guess what? He expects you and I to be people of peace. He expects you and I to be peacemakers also. So at this moment, I don't know your situation, but I'm just, just guessing there might be someone in this room that think, thinks you're actually justified in getting even or getting revenge against someone that has hurt you, done you wrong. You might feel it, feel it and you might, ha you might be 100% right on your side and what you've done, that you didn't do anything, they did it all to you. But my prayer is that you'll get past this bitterness, resentment, hate in your heart and anger and resist that urge to get even. And let Jesus lift you out of that pit of destruction. Because I'm going to say this, that anger is a pit of destruction. As I said when I opened up, it doesn't just say, stay this little controllable thing. It blows up. And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it leads to greater and greater problems. Don't let it go that far. Step back and say, what are the consequences going to be? God, help me with my anger. Help me with this situation. Could you stand to your feet this morning? You know, I feel in my heart it's time for us to start forgiving more people. Let go of that thing. Maybe you've been holding on for maybe years. Just let it go because it's not hurting that person you're mad at normally. It's destroying you. It's taking you down. But let's forgive others. And the best way I know how to do that is to remember how we've been forgiven. By whom we've been forgiven. Jesus didn't owe us a thing. Do you realize that? Jesus did not owe us one thing, but He went and gave it all so that you and I could be forgiven. If He can do that for me, and I don't always get it right, but I try. If He can do that for me, I can have a forgiving heart toward others. If He can forgive me. Could you bow your hearts in prayer this morning? Lord, I pray with all of my heart that You would help us to have the heart and the wisdom of this Abigail I've been talking about. I thank you for her story, Lord God. I see a picture of you in the middle of all uh, her story. Help us to handle our times of anger and frustration in your kind of way, in a God kind of way. Father, I pray that we would be teachable just like David was. That we wouldn't let our anger get the best of us. We wouldn't make bad decisions, but we would turn to you and look to you for guidance. 
help and direction. Father, I pray that you would help us to forgive as we have been forgiven. The power in forgiveness, Father, I pray that it would become more real today than it's ever been before. I pray, Lord, as we walk out of this place, this story of Abigail that maybe we've never heard before will remind us when we are challenged to either blow up or to step back and to say, God, I need your help. Father, help us be shining examples of the same love that sent Jesus Christ to the cross as we meet the world around us each and every day, where we work, where we go to school, where we live, wherever it might be, Lord God, may your light of truth and love, mercy and grace shine through each and every one of us. We give you praise today because we know it's possible through your help and your strength. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Go out and have a wonderful day.